Hello and a very warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 8th of August 2023. Terry Sheehan is on the US East Coast, Max Sato's in British Columbia, Brian Jackson's in Sydney. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, looking around the globe, yield curves are quite steeply inverted in US, Canada and Mexico, as well as in France, Germany, Switzerland and the UK. And indeed, also in New Zealand, Hong Kong and Singapore. And that's just some of the countries currently on the list. Now, in the past, that might have been seen as a precursor of recession. And indeed, despite the various distortions caused by quantitative easing and quantitative tightening, some investors still think that will be the case. However, just last month, the IMF revised up its world economic projections for 2023, and that included stronger outlooks and positive growth for every G7 economy bar Germany. So is there a downturn just around the corner or can we look forward to something more akin to a soft landing? So time to find out what the Economy team thinks. So to Terry then, Ms. Sheehan, last Friday, the July employment record report showed the US economy adding fewer jobs than expected, but the unemployment rate fell while wage growth picked up. So a mixed outcome and that following yes. surprisingly strong second quarter GDP. Now, I noticed the latest Bloomberg survey shows a clear majority of investors expecting a US recession before the end of 2024 and around a fifth or so uh, seeing a possible slump in 2023. So bottom line, then, what's your outlook? Well, at least for the near future, um, the U.S. economy looks to be in pretty good shape. We had solid growth in the second quarter. Um, the very early forecasts for the third quarter, uh, particularly the Atlanta Fed uh, GDP now cast, is for 4% growth in the third quarter. As much as 4%. Uh, Yes. Now, this is very early, uh, mm -hmm. so I expect that will go lower. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, despite the fact that hiring appears to be slowing, slowing uh, job losses are minimal at this point. Uh, it very much, at least for now, looks like the Fed has engineered their soft landing uh, as Chair Powell mentioned back at his press briefing after the FOMC meeting, the Fed staff is no longer forecasting a recession this mm -hmm. year. Now, that doesn't preclude one um, in 2024. But uh, for the moment, the U.S. economy uh, is showing its fundamentals, and those are for solid consumer spending, uh, pretty good business investment. Uh, and this is all happening in a higher interest rate environment. So it's, it's it seems a little contrary, but uh, okay, that seems me, to well, be the case. I guess, yeah, I mean, quite. So let, let me ask you, why do you think that is? I'm mean, given the what's been a hugely aggressive Fed, well, not just Fed tightening, clearly it's kind of all around a lot, a lot of big chunks of the world. But why do you think it's the fact that we've seen interest rates has go up as far as they have done? And indeed, obviously, we've got the, the balance sheet adjustment compounding that as well at the moment. And yet this U.S. economy appears, at least at the moment anyway, to be so resilient. What's what's kind of changed? Well, Probably more than anything, it has to do with the fact that uh, the labor market is strong. Uh, a lot of people uh, managed to get solid wage increases. Mm -hmm. uh, 
either at their current employment or by switching jobs. Uh, and that trend has not yet finished. Uh, so I think a lot of it is that U.S. consumers are seeing good spending power, and that's what's keeping things going. All right. Well, I guess most people would try to interpret something, whatever a soft landing really means, as at least sort of you know, indicative of growth approaching and moving back down to trend without it generating any real additional inflation problems. Now, we'll get what CPI at due out this Thursday, I remember rightly, isn't it, this week? Um, what's going on with inflation? I mean, is it the case, you think, that we can actually get down to, say, growth mod- moderating but still remaining positive like the Fed wants, um, but at the same time inflation coming, you know, continuing to come down? Or are we getting towards the bottom of the current um, downward trend, you think? Um, I think we might be getting near the bottom of the current downward trend. Uh, More than one analyst has noted that the core inflation, the the more the interest rates have put downward pressure on prices, the harder it gets to make progress. Uh, The other thing is that um, we're seeing signs of food and energy costs coming back up again. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of that is the situation in Ukraine. Uh, You know, we may not actually be seeing as good progress on headline inflation as we have been either. So uh, I think what we're going to hear from Fed policymakers is that uh, the situation uh, is fluid and that we can expect more rate hikes. That's what I was going to ask you. So putting your, really pull all this little lot together. And what do you think it means for the September FOMC? Are we in a pause now with the possibility of rates going up? Or do you think we've actually reached the top end of the cycle now? Um, I think September will see another 25 basis points. And I think that will probably be the top end of the cycle. And how soon, which of course is a follow up question, do you think rates might actually be coming down? Um, I think we probably would have to wait at least until um, the spring of 2024, maybe a little later. All right. Fair enough. And one last thing I want to ask you. Um, RMF data showed that the U.S. was the largest recipient of inward foreign direct investment in 2021. Now, last week, the U.S. Treasury boosted its quarterly funding for, I think, was it the first time in about two years? Um, Mm. And at the start of the month, of course, we had the Fitch Ratings Agency um, unexpectedly uh, cut the U.S. debt rating from AAA to AA+. So, I mean, do you think this could be an issue for U.S. funding going forward and indeed or and or future U.S. policy and, of course, ultimately? Ultimately, the U.S. economy itself. Well, I don't think it had a lot of immediate impact, mm-hmm. but it does speak to the contentious political situation here in the U.S. And um, I, I think it's sort of a warning shot that um, we need to get our political house in order in order to have our fiscal house in order. Okay, fair enough. Anything else you'd like to put in the pot then, Terry? No, um, we are definitely very much looking at Thursday's Consumer Price Index report. Uh, It's probably, we still have one more employment report and one more Consumer Price Index report after that, before the next FOMC meeting. Uh, But we will be hearing from Chair Powell probably later in the month when he's at the Jackson Hole Forum. So I think we'll be looking for some guidance from him then. Fair enough. 
Great. OK, thanks a lot for that, Terry. Right, Max, then let's move across the border to Canada. Where are we? Middle of July, the Bank of Canada raised um, rates again by 25 basis points, um, but said no recession is expected. I so say we've got a fairly, uh, fairly strongly inverted yield curve in Canada at the moment. Also said it expects growth to average about 1% through the first half of this year and I think the first half of next year. So is this a kind of plausible scenario to you? And if anything, where do you see the risks lie on the upside or the downside? Um, for Canada, I think um, risk balance is uh, pretty neutral. I don't see a huge upside or downside right now. And then I think um, the Bank of Canada's um, forecasts are um, not outside the range of uh, what private economists are forecasting. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Um, let me ask you about the, the, the latest labour market report. Um, we saw employment down, what, just over, well, getting on for six and a half thousand, the second fall we've seen in three months. We've also seen a very weak um, Ivy PMI survey. It's down to, what, 48.6 in the same month. So that's its worst, well, certainly a good, significantly worse than market estimates. And I think, was it the first negative reading we've had in about six or seven months or so? So, I mean, do you think there are some tentative signs at least at the economy maybe starting to slow a little bit more than the Bank of Canada might be anticipating? I, I think uh, this is the beginning of a kind of a hint of a bad news that the uh, Bank of Canada people really wanted to see for a long time. Mm-hmm. And jobless rates, of course, 5.5 is much higher than Japan's 2 point something. But I think uh, it's a small economy compared to the U.S. economy when the non-farm payrolls in the U.S. Uh, rose, um, you know, by a less than expected, but still high. Um, Canada fell, but it it can fluctuate from month to month. So I don't think it went beyond the scope of uh, uh, the slowdown that uh, uh, monetary policy people wanted to see. Okay. Let me ask you maybe a slightly off the the ball kind of question, but um, I've seen some people talking or trying to relate what's happening in Canada at the moment to some other recession indicators. In particular, people remember the old, uh, the former Fed US economist, Claudia Sarm, her recession indicator, which has it that once the three month moving average of the unemployment raises, sorry, rises half a percentage point or more above its 12 month low, then the economy is contracting. So looking at the, the Canadian in data, we got the three month moving average of unemployment now at 5.4%. So that was up from 5.2% in June. But potentially more importantly, if you believe what um, Ms. Sam said, um, it's 0.4 percentage points above its 12 month low. So another point on that, and we'd be up to the kind of threshold where she believes that you know, recession is effectively just around the corner. Do you attach any weight to that? Or do you think there are other things going on in the labour market at the moment, which means that rising unemployment rate is perhaps giving a, a slight a slightly wrong impression about just how underlying weakness is, is at the moment. I think you just called it the uh, US model. and uh, It is, yeah, very much so. Yeah, you, you could apply largely to the, the Canadian uh, situation too, but I think uh, BMO's chief economist, Doug Porter, said the Canadian experience would be more like 0.7 or 0.5. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. I think uh, the too much focus on uh, the unemployment rate alone would lead us to to the wrong direction, and I think, uh, as uh, you know, Bank of Canada people are saying too, a wide range of um, you know wages and uh, productivity, and all these uh, figures that uh, they have to uh, closely look at. Okay, fair enough. Anything else on Canada? 
Um, you know, the prime minister uh, and his wife uh, announced that uh, they're going to be separated, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's making a huge uh, uh, impact on the markets yet. All right. Well, let's move to part of the rest of you of the countries you cover, in particular um, Japan. Now, clearly, Japan doesn't have any light inverted yield curve at the moment. Um, before I ask you about the economic outlook and I ask you about policy, I mean, it's been great fun over the last got a couple of weeks or so trying to interpret what the Bank of Japan is doing with a, a tweak of policy that I think most people seem to assume was a nod to higher bond yields almost immediately followed by intervention of markets to achieve exactly the opposite. So what do you think is actually going on in terms of BOJ policy currently? Yes, I remember saying uh, the previous during the previous uh, podcast that uh, no drastic change will be made uh, at the July meeting. You did. And I think it, it, it depends on where you stand, you know, um, whether you look at it as a really shrewd way of um, sort of um, covering up the uh, actual mini hike or whether, you know, you, if you focus on the uh, on the overall uh, sort of decision of keeping the the um, the main um, framework of a, a minus 0.1 on the, the shorter end and around zero still and then and the officially 0.5 either way. Um, so that means unchanged. But, but uh, I think uh, Bank of Japan people are buying themselves um, some time, you know, the safety margin in case there's a spike in yield curves uh, beyond their control, like, uh, you know, maybe uh, what happens to the, the U.S. Treasury market could spill over to Japan. And mm-hmm. the last thing they want to see is uh, something serious happens between the meetings and like in August and they can't really step in um, immediately and you know the, the yen could lose again which is which would be politically very unpopular when government is trying to give subsidies to keep the energy bills down mm. it's interesting so it seems it's almost a case of you know the boj trying to introduce some kind of sort of policy creep without actually disturbing the markets um in any case, OK, getting on to the real economy then, we're due the second quarter GDP figures, I think, was it next week, isn't it? So what's, right. ex- what's expected there and, and where do you think growth is going to head from here? Uh, according to my survey of economists, um, uh, it's going to be 0.9% growth quarter quarter, which which would be 3.3 annualized. That will be an acceleration from 0.7 or annualized 2.7 in the first quarter. And that would be actually above 2.4 in the U.S. and 1.5 in the Eurozone. So, um, you know, at a glance, it looks like it's really resilient. But uh, I think, uh, the, you know, the real picture is um, slower domestic demand, actually negative uh, in the second quarter. Um, the the lead, leading leader of the growth would be uh, net exports, which means um, exports of automobiles uh, have been recovering thanks to um, um, eased um, uh, shortage of uh, semiconductors and supply chain improvements. But uh, the rest of the exports are not that strong and net exports uh, is going to see a little rebound because import costs are uh, falling fast because of the uh, reverse base year effect. So uh, even though uh, s- consumer spending is still resilient, 
um, month to month, but uh, it, it may be slowing down a little bit. Uh, see how things go going forward. The Economy Watchers Index uh, is up again, which means um, the, the, there's still concerns about um, labor shortages, but um, as long as government subsidies for traveling uh, con- continue and uh, people not too squeezed by the uh, rising prices of food and durable goods. Um, uh, consumer spending may uh, last a little longer than we thought originally. Okay, and last one for me. I'll ask you about wages. We talked before about, and you in particular say discussed um, just how important wages are to BOJ policy. Vigors I saw, I think, was that it came out this morning suggesting that wages actually somewhat surprisingly decelerated in the latest data. Um, is that a bit of a setback for the Bank of Japan, or is it really just more of a reflection of the kind of a big economic picture that you're talking about, whereby domestic demand may be picking up, but still doing quite slowly? Um, I think you're talking about uh, nominal real wages, um, yeah. total monthly average cash earnings. Um, if you take a look at the um, overall, that's uh, actually um, not too bad. Um, 18th straight uh, month of year in year rise, 2.3, slowing from 2.9. But then um, the key indicator is um, base wages. That's still okay, 1.4 after 1.7. I think the real problem here is uh, uh, real wages. Um, let's see, still down 1.6 uh, from a year early in June after falling 0.9. So um, people's wages are not really catching up with the rate of inflation, uh, probably because uh, it's still early for some companies, smaller companies, to. Um, to actually reflect the um, uh, the results of the negotiations between you know the big companies and their unions uh, this spring, so uh, see how things go beyond summer bonuses. And the real key is whether Bank of Japan people can see any signs that many companies going to keep raising wages into the next fiscal year starting April, and that sign. Or first signs may come from you know executives from Toyota or steelmakers at the end of this year, early January. And then it's going to be an interesting time whether they should, the Bank of Japan should consider um, raising the, I mean, ending the negative uh, interest rate policy on the short short end. From which I assume you are suggesting then that there's going to be no sort of outright change in the, you know, the, the minus 0.1% short term rate and at least we get into 2024. That's right, yeah. Okay. Um, anything else from Japan? Uh, nothing so far. OK, great. Thank you very much indeed for that, Max. And let's head down south then to Brian and China. Mr. Jackson, positive yield curve there, too. In fact, I think it's been the steepest the last what, couple of years or so. But looking at Econoday's consensus divergence index, that's been pretty well sub zero, i.e. that means that um, the economic data are coming in weaker than expected um, since the start of May time. And clearly investors still very worried about recovery prospects. So what's the outlook for Japan? Well, what's, sorry, what's the outlook for the Chinese economy in general and also in terms of what the policymakers might try to do uh, to compensate for it? Yeah, I, th- I think the data have been coming in a little bit weaker than expected, but but not by a great extent. You know, mm-hmm. look at our divergence index has been, you know, slightly below zero, but not not uh, to a large extent. So, you know, I, th- I think what we're seeing is um, 
a lot of a little bit of volatility in the data just because you know we tend in in uh in in china to look at the year over year numbers um rather than sort of the the month over month or quarter over quarter which aren't always um seasonally adjusted or, or aren't always you know as as uh, heavily focused on as as year over year numbers and of course that means we are hostage a little bit to uh, base effects and swings um, sort of driven by what went on 12 months ago when, you know, various public health restrictions were being, you know, imposed or, or lifted or whatever. So um, I think we sort of need to look a little bit past um, some of the, the, the volatility and the numbers that uh, are being driven by, you know, what happened 12 months ago with public health restrictions. Um, but, yeah, if you sort of um, take an overall view, you know, looking at the PMI surveys, looking at, uh, you know, the official data that we had, uh, you know, almost four weeks ago now, uh, we are seeing a bit of a, 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 a soft patch in, in the numbers. You know, we had, a, I think, a bit of a boost to uh, the, uh, the, the economy earlier on in the year um, when we did with some public health restrictions. And that, that momentum seems to have uh, faded in, um, you know, the last couple of months. Certainly, the, um, you know, the manufacturing PMIs are showing uh, you know, contraction in that sector. Uh, the non-manufacturing PMIs are showing growth has, has has come off a little bit in the last couple of months. So, yeah, it's we're, we're sort of in a bit of a uh, a lull at the moment, and that was something that was addressed uh, by the the senior leadership uh, a week or so ago, uh, reported in the official press. Uh, they were, um, you know, meeting to discuss the economic conditions and to discuss what that meant for for policy going forward. And you know, it was interesting to hear some of the the phrases that they used. They they described um, the the current recovery as torturous uh, and wave-like. So um, you know, I think just acknowledging the uh, you know some of the volatility that we have seen in in the data. But you know, the the interesting conclusion from that though is that they they don't feel um, well. They didn't indicate that they feel a, a great need to adjust policy settings going forward. We've had a few little tweaks um, in, uh, you know, reserve requirements and the loan policy rate over the last mm-hmm. couple of months, um, but even that has been sort of identified or characterised more as a, um, you know, an adjustment to liquidity conditions rather than a, a shift in the policy stance. So they are saying at the moment, um, you know, we, we, we want to keep policy pretty stable and they, they seem to be hoping that um, they, they don't need to do a lot to, um, you know, try and get this recovery back on track. Okay, um, a couple of things within that. I mean, um, one from the trade side, uh, the trade numbers we had out, was it this morning or, or yesterday? Um, yeah. Very weak exports. I think, you know, they sort of contracted by the most since we've seen the start of the pandemic. Also, um, imports were down quite sharply as well. Now, last week, I thought I saw something to the effect that the Chinese authorities had been asking some local banks to reduce or at least defer some of their dollar buying to ease pressure on the exchange rate. So, Firstly, do you think the exchange rate might play more of a role in terms of policy going forward? And the other thing, a lot of people seem to be concerned, well, perhaps inevitably, but you know, what's going on in the housing market and how that could dampen down growth over the rest of the year? What do you think is going on with that? Yeah, I mean, certainly I, I would sort of say that, again, some of the, the maybe the large year on year numbers in, in, in the trade flows might also be sort of you know, base effects from, you know, we, we might have had a bit of a surge in, in trade flows 12 months earlier mm-hmm. uh, when restrictions were lifted. So we just caution uh, sort of, you know, paying attention to base effects there. But, but yeah, certainly, uh, you know, the the 
weakness in trade flows is consistent with what we're seeing on, on the PMI survey uh, data as well. So, you know, I think that's certainly true to some extent that we are seeing a bit of a lull, not only in domestic activity, but also in, in external demand and, and trade uh, going forward. And, and yes, yeah, certainly, um, you know, the exchange rate is one lever that they can pull. They, I think they've been reluctant to um, to use that policy tool to, uh, very aggressively. Uh, and that was certainly one of the things that they said uh, in, in that um, that meeting that was reported in the official press that, uh, you know, they want to keep uh, the exchange rate fairly stable. So I don't think there'll be anything too aggressive there. Uh, and again, they're just, I think, hoping for, uh, you know, hoping that, uh, you know, things will just pick up almost independently of them uh, making very big adjustments to policy. Okay. Uh, and Sorry. Yeah, but the, yeah, the housing market. Yes, that's definitely uh, uh, an issue that again was highlighted uh, in, in that statement that we we saw in the official press. Um, they uh, have been tweaking a few things here and there to try and uh, ease the pressure on on first home buyers, trying to ease the pressure on financial institutions that we are seeing in parts of the of the property market, and that you know probably was also the thinking behind some of those tweaks in in uh the loan policy rate and uh, the loan prime rate and uh and reserve requirements going forward but again th there doesn't seem to be a lot of appetite for for major uh shifts in uh in, in the policy settings all right the last one i should sorry, in terms of china anyway is um inflation obviously we get yep. the uh the cpi and the ppi data out um i think later on this evening and there seems to be a lot of speculation we'll actually see inflation going negative so i mean are the authorities generally concerned that we could be getting into some you know out and out deflationary spiral now there hasn't been a lot of uh commentary from that but of course you know they they don't always show their hand about what they're thinking about uh you know the specifics of the economic data so it's hard to to get a read on um you know how they're how they're seeing that you know, it, it is it is striking just you know how they have avoided or not had the same sort of price pressures that have been evident in in other parts of well the world really. So um, you know we'll, we'll wait for a for a couple of hours and see see what's happening with, with those inflation numbers. But um, I, th I think it's, it's generally consistent with the activity data, just showing that we are in a bit of a a low at the moment and. Um, but not a lot of appetite for for changing policy settings. All right, let's move to Australia then. Um, can't say we've got an ne entirely negative yield curve there, but at least parts of it are negative. Um, yeah. In terms of the you know, sort of economic outlook, I think what first quarter GDP was up 0.2%. But from what I've seen, um, retail sales volumes appear to be looking pretty soft, well, down 0.5% in June quarter. So we had three consecutive quarters of um, negative numbers, which, if I've got it right, is uh, you know the weakest period we've had since the global financial crisis. So, is it the case now that high interest rates in Australia, courtesy of all, all the RBA tightening we've seen today, is starting to have a significant impact on the consumer sector now? And if that is the case, um, do you think there's a, there's a chance we could see recession looming in Australia? Well, uh, the answer to the first question is yes. Uh, I think we're definitely uh, seeing. Uh, the, the impact of what you would expect uh, policy tightening to have uh, on, on the consumer sector, and, and not only uh, the, the increases in policy rates, but also just more generally the, the cost of living mm -hmm. pressures that um, are, are very, uh, a very huge focus here in Australia at the moment, and um, you know you're, you're seeing it in all the in all the media, um, you know the, it's the water cooler discussion, et cetera, et cetera. So um, 
you know, I don't think it's a big surprise that we are seeing um, that showing in, in the consumer data that are coming through. And that's certainly been the, the main risk to the AORC that has been highlighted by the, the RBA uh, in their recent communications. Uh, will we see a recession? Will we see a really serious downturn? Uh, it's it's not, um, I think it's too early to say that the data is showing that, but it's, it's definitely the, the you know, an obvious risk. And, you know, for, for six or even longer than six months, I think you, you've heard uh, language from the RBA in their statement saying that, you know, it's a very narrow path that we're trying to tread here. You know, we're trying to uh, get this inflation back down to acceptable levels, but we realise that the risk of, of doing that is that we're going to uh, not have the, the nice soft landing that everyone would like to see. Uh, and so I think that's still uh, a, you know, a very real risk. And uh, that is obviously behind uh, the RBA's thinking of, of uh, pressing pause on the rate hikes that we've seen uh, over the last few months, even though inflation is still way above where they want to be. And even though inflation is still going to take uh, at least another two years before it gets back to their target level. You know, if you were just looking at inflation and, uh, alone, you would still be going uh, hard on, on policy tightening. But obviously, they are concerned about the growth outlook, so that is is uh, uh, restricting uh, their, their their room to, to keep on moving on, on inflation. Okay. Um, last one to ask you on Australia is um, the new monetary policy framework for 2024. I know we touched on it briefly in the previous podcast, but since you know we're getting closer now and there have been some more bits and pieces out about it, you know, what in a sort in a sort of in summary form do you think it might mean in terms of any kind of difference approach to um, RBA policy as we go through next year? I, I don't think it will really change. Uh, you know the 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 way that they set policy. Well, sorry, the, the the actual policy outcomes, I should say. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that you're going to see a, a different level of policy rates at the end of 2024 under this system than you would have under the the current system. Right. You know, they will continue to analyse uh, economic data in the same way and and make you know the same uh, judgments. I, I believe based on that, it's just you know the the process is going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, the main the main headline uh, from the changes is that we're moving from um, every well 11 months a year to uh, it'll be eight meetings so uh, slightly uh, bigger intervals between meetings uh, and and also uh, a little bit more uh, transparency in terms of what's published and how quickly it's published and there'll be a, a press conference after it uh, where the governor will be uh, you know have a chance to present um, and, and respond to questions so a little bit of a change in the process and the procedures but I don't think um, it, it signals a change in, in the actual outcomes or the or the policy judgments that the RBA are making. Okay, I should say the the uh, the inflation target remains unchanged. That's right. Correct. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, well, that's, but, yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Just, just to be you know, uh, clear, we we are getting a new governor um, as a result of this. Uh, the the current governor, uh, Philip Lowe, uh, is not having his um, his term renewed, mm-hmm. and uh, the deputy governor Michelle Bullock will be uh, taking over. Okay. Look forward to that.
Right. Well, then, let's move on to New Zealand. Um, well, yield curve is strongly inverted with good reason, in the sense that, of course, the, uh, the New Zealand economy fell into recession the first quarter of this year. Um, now, I know we got weather distortions and bits and pieces involved, but <laughs> looking through the odds and sods, it seems to me that, you know, particularly the labour market, by and large, still seems to be pretty strong, um, perhaps even strong enough that the economy is still overheating. So, I mean, do you think we've reached the top end of New Zealand interest rates yet? Or, you know, we've got another meeting from the RBNZ next week. Could we even see rates going up again then? Can, can I just repeat what I said about the RBA for RBNZ? It's a very similar story, I think. Uh, you know, they uh, are looking at inflation and thinking, okay, it's still too high, but they are, you know, concerned about, you know, going too far. I mean, it's, it's, you know, a very, a very basic situation when you are in a, in a tightening cycle and you have moved right. aggressively on policy rates. Uh, you know, you're, you're at this sort of inflection point where you're not sure if you need to, to push harder or, or whether you've done enough to, to get inflation down. Um, you know, having having gone on hot, you know, having left rates unchanged last month, um, you know, maybe that's a signal that they think they can pause for a while. And so, um, you know, I haven't seen what the what the forecast consensus forecast is for next week, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know they they go uh, on on hold again and just try and give themselves some time to see if if what they've done will do the job um, without having to go further. So um, I think right across the region, that's that's um, you know you know where we're at at the moment, we're in a sort of holding pattern. Uh, you know the central banks across the region have have done the work in terms of increasing policy rates you know pretty aggressively right across the region and now they're uh just waiting to see if, if that does the trick okay one last question i'll ask you on on the, the kiwi side of things that's looking at the labor market i read that the um the participation rate now it's been increasing quite rapidly and it's at a record high now i presume that's clearly helping to you know prevent the unemployment rate from going down too far but presumably that in itself you can't rely upon that indefinitely which i guess is one reason why i'm kind of wondering if a you know a labor market is still tight enough that it might ultimately force the rbnz you know to hike interest rates even if perhaps they don't want to due to what's going on elsewhere in the economy no i mean that, that, that is very striking and interesting just how how strong participation has been going and yeah that, that's clearly a, a sign that the, the labor market is very strong and that's that's going to feed into it and, and again that's very similar in australia our our participation rate here is is a, a, a pretty close if not yeah pretty close to record levels Okay. Um, I know we got an RBI Reserve Bank of India meeting on Thursday. So yeah. them and anything else you'd like to talk about? Yeah. Uh, so India is interesting in that um, you know that they seem to be in a in a better spot. Uh, in, definitely in terms of the the activity numbers have been pretty positive. Uh, the PMI numbers are sort of way uh, quite a bit north of fifty. So that's good. Um, and so they they seem to be uh, going okay at the moment. Uh, and and that of course gives them a little bit of bit more flexibility to uh, adjust policy if they do feel inflation is uh, not behaving itself properly. Um, again, inflation there though has um, it has come off a little bit, and and, and I think they'd be you know reasonably happy with um, how things are going there. But we are coming to yeah. I mean, if you look at at the start of the year, it was, it was around six and a half percent. It's down now. You know, four and a half to five percent. So they'll be happy about the the drop in inflation that's that's happened over the last few months. So they've, they've got a little bit of policy room, I think, to to either pause or if they do feel the need to uh, tighten a little bit further, they they could probably do that just with the way that the the activity numbers are going. Uh, 
Also bear in mind, though, that we are, uh, you know, that uh, the inflation numbers are going to be impacted by, uh, you know, potentially rainfall patterns during mm-hmm. the monsoon season and uh, the impact that that has on food prices. So what you tend to find is the RBA, uh, sorry, the RBI does uh, try and look through any sort of month-to-month volatility inflation that's caused by you know, adverse weather effects. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for all that, Brian. Um, let's round off then with my part of the world in Europe. Uh, Eurozone, well, unlike New Zealand, it's uh, not actually in recession yet, but it's still much more of a recession candidate and certainly some countries anyway. Second quarter Eurozone GDP we had out uh, a little while ago. Um, that was up 0.3% in a quarter, which is stronger than expected. Um, but within that, Germany was only flat. That was after contractions in both the fourth quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year. So already in technical recession, Italy was down 0.3%. Although France surprised on the upside with a rise of 0.5%. All of that was attributable to net export. So pull that little lot together. It really means that domestic demand across the eurozone is still soft and indeed, if anything, probably slowing further. So uh, could there be a recession? in the eurozone second half of this year well certainly at least one negative quarter of growth wouldn't surprise me all that said um ecb um well to all intents and purposes they appear to be ignoring the slowdown currently indeed it's uh, i guess it's almost certainly welcoming uh, the reduction in growth as it's uh, p- perhaps a, a necessary evil in order to get inflation back to target a um, couple of weeks ago, we saw the European Central Bank tighten by another 25 basis points, which was in line with expectations that put the deposit rate up at a record 3.5 percent. In terms of where we go from here, well, it's still, as ever, very much data dependent, as with so many other central banks. But for what it's worth, you're trying to look at some of the nuances in the statement. Um, it did indicate that they've shifted from this so-called determination to bring rates back to levels necessary to achieve their inflation targets to set rates. Um, It's only a supple nuance, but it perhaps intimates that we have more members on the governing council now believing that interest rates are pretty well where they need to be in order to achieve the desired effect on prices. Certainly doesn't mean that we won't see rates going up again when we get into the next meeting on what the 14th of September. Um, But bottom line, of course, is you can almost ignore the real economy data and just come Uh, concentrate upon the inflation figures. As we currently stand, we saw a mixed report for July with a headline rate down, but some of the core rates actually either holding firm or or even or going down to slightly. And importantly, the services side prices there remaining very sticky and indeed service sector inflation, which CCB is concentrating upon, particularly at the moment, that actually accelerated. Bottom line then, um, I guess that we could see a recession in the eurozone over the course of coming quarters, but don't necessarily expect that to prevent further interest rate hikes unless we see a further deceleration in both headline and more importantly, uh, the core inflation data over the next few quarters. Um, In terms of the next one upcoming, we'll get the flash HICP, their inflation report. That's due out on August the 31st for August, and that'll be instrumental in terms of what they decide to do in September. Um, we can say much the same sort of thing about the UK and the Bank of England too, really, although it's got to be said that the economic outlook for the UK is even more clouded uh, than most other countries. And that was very much highlighted in last week's Bank of England decisions. So the bank hiked interest rates, a bit like the ECB, again, by a further 25 basis points, up to five and a quarter percent. But the vote was some 6-3. Now, within that, we've got the main dove, Swati Dingra, who voted yet again for no change. 
uh, six going for with the majority for an increase of 25 basis points. But a couple of members, Jonathan Haskell and Catherine Mann, two of the main hawks on the uh, MPC, voting for a 50 basis point hike. So we've got a 50 basis point spread across what the MPC members thought was the appropriate stance for policy, which really simply underlines just uh, the high level of uncertainty that the bank's facing at the moment. For what it's worth, though, the I guess you've got to say that the, the kind of the bias on the interest rate vote suggests that uh, we could still see another interest rate hike once we get into the September meeting. And certainly the bank acknowledged that inflation risks, as far as this is con- as far as current issues are concerned at the moment, remain on the upside. Also got some new monetary policy economic uh, forecasts out from the bank um, last week. Not that they matter much. Um, they've been revised and uh, I guess you know, the, the credibility of these now has diminished so much over the course of the last couple of years or so that not many investors are actually paying much attention to them. And indeed, just of note, it may be worth pointing out that the, the former Fed boss, Dr. Ben Menanke, he'll be leading review into the BOE's forecasting methods to see how they managed to get it quite as bad badly wrong as they did. Let me round off from my side then just quickly with um, Switzerland, where the yield curve is negative, albeit not strongly so. By and large, the Swiss economy has actually held up relatively well um, in recent quarters. Uh, First quarter GDP was up 0.3 on the quarter, which may not seem to be overly strong, but by Swiss Swiss standards, that's still a pretty decent number. But it's worthwhile keeping on some Swiss figures over the course of the next month or or so. Um, Some are leading indicators have been particularly soft. They're not always a great leading indicator of the hard data when it comes down to it. But nonetheless, they do suggest that we could potentially see quite a sharp slowdown during the second half of this year. And particularly with the Swiss franc close to levels against the dollar that we haven't seen since the central bank pulled the plug on its foreign exchange rate target back in 2015, it could well be both an economy and a currency to keep an eye on. Okay then, well, that's it, I guess, for this week. Um, Fair to say that central bankers, investors and financial markets in general are still grappling with how the global economy will shape up over the coming months and quarters. So, as we always say at the end of these podcasts, make sure you stay focused on the data. And to do that, and indeed check out all the other key market moving events, do stay tuned to Econoday's Economic Global Calendar. On behalf of Terry, Max, Brom, and me, thanks as ever for listening, and we hope to see you again next time. Bye for now.